This is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. My name is Sasha Black, young adult and non-fiction author, developmental editor, writing consultant, and occasional rebel. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Rebel Author Podcast. Last time, I mentioned that I was writing a two-part post on audio creation on my website. At the time, only the first post was live, but now both are up. So if you've missed them, I'm going to link to them in the show notes. One of the posts was on audio resources. That was the first blog post. And the second blog post, which I've just posted up, was all about how to build a DIY audio booth. Now, most of us don't have much space in our rooms or in our offices or in our houses. I certainly didn't. And yet I still wanted to build an audio booth. So that's what I've done. And so for anybody who doesn't have much space but would still like to either record a podcast or record audio, don't worry, I got your back. I have a full explanation of how to do that in a really tiny space. Next up, I was honoured to be on the Great Writers Share podcast hosted by Dan Wilcox. Now, most of you, if you have been listening to this podcast from the beginning, will know that name. Dan Wilcox was on episode two of the Rebel Author podcast, all about co-writing. And now I get to repay the interview favour by being on his podcast. He has this amazing interview style where he goes really deep and gets into a person's psyche. If he wasn't as charming and delightful as he was, I might have been worried that I was being psychoanalysed. But it was an absolute pleasure to speak to him. And we cover so many topics, it's insane. But we talked about why sniffing books brings uh, a reader and a writer piece. Looking into your motivations and how to make it as a blogger, useful ways to absorb what you're reading and remember long after the book is finished, how to remain true to your own voice instead of caving to pressure, how to become aware of your fears and learning to conquer them, and also the methods that I use uh, to plan, so both non-fiction and my fiction books, and a whole bunch more. Uh, I am going to link to that podcast episode in the show notes. Next up, I have been struggling for a while, in fact, since the inception of this podcast, to find a useful mechanism or way to tell you how to share the podcast. Um, Because podcasts are available on so many different podcatchers, RSS feeds, on websites. It's almost impossible there. Uh, to my knowledge, there. well, I hadn't found a universal book link. However, I have now. Oh, cue my squealing excitement. Uh, I can finally say that if you would like to share this podcast, you can do so using the following link. So all of the HTTP um, bollocks and then pod.link forward slash rebel author. It's that simple. So I will obviously include that in the show notes as well. Now... Ladies and gentlemen, it is November, and November calls for nano, or not, depending on what you're doing. I have decided to take the plunge this year and participate in NaNoWriMo. For anybody listening who doesn't know what NaNoWriMo is, it stands for National Novel Writing Month. Essentially, you write a whole novel 
novel in 30 days. I know, it sounds insane. Mostly it is too. However, I think the more important thing about nano is not the word count that you reach, whether or not you hit the 50k that you're meant to hit. Um, it's more about creating and sustaining a writing habit. Uh, nano was actually responsible for my writing habit uh, initially. I wrote the very first draft of my first young adult book, Keepers, in nano. And after those 30 days, I just continued. Actually, that's not true. I fell into a pit of exhaustion the first week of December. But after that, I picked my little backside back up and carried on writing. And that is why I am giving loads of support to anybody doing Nano in my Facebook group this month. However, what I've also found with Nano is that for all the benefits it creates, encouraging word counts and habits, it can also create just as much comparisonitis. What will happen is someone will be like, oh, I've done 5,000 words today. And I'm like, great, that's just, I Exactly. And then what happens is you fall into a pit of despair because perhaps you missed your word count by 100 words. Or maybe you hit the word count, but you know you're already going to have to rewrite a load of that scene. Um, and then, therefore, cr uh, comparisonitis is created. So I've put a blanket ban on discussing word counts for the whole of November. Um, this is so that we can still have support, everyone can be accountable without the pressure of knowing how other people are doing specifically with their word counts. So what are we doing instead? Well, we're using emojis. So we are using a thumbs up, a thumbs down, or an okay uh, emoji to say, so whatever that means. So you might put a thumbs up to say your day's been amazing, but actually you haven't hit your word count, that's fine. Nobody needs to know that. If you've created quality words, that's all that matters. Perhaps you put a, do a thumbs down, even though you hit your word count, um, but because you don't feel those words were good words. Whatever, it doesn't matter. It is down to you and your interpretation of what those emojis are. Now, thanks to a very um, brilliant uh, suggestion from uh, one of my uh, Facebook members, Tom, he also suggested we include the birdie. Uh, so giving a, a middle finger to your uh, day when your characters, who we all know, can be a little bit naughty, um, when they rebel, essentially. Uh, so if you would like to come and join our Facebook group, uh, you can. It is, just go to Facebook and search for 13 Steps to Evil, and I will also include a link in the show notes. The Listener Rebel of the Week this week is Icy Sedgwick. So, Icy says, My head of sixth form told me I'd never amount to anything if I didn't go to Oxford or Cambridge. Uh, I went to Northumbria to do my BA, and then after I got my MA, I sent him a copy of the certificate to remind him of what he'd said. He'd have an absolute shit fit if he knew I was doing my PhD. I love this. This is so true. I don't really understand why teachers who are supposed to be there fostering uh, an enthusiasm and motivation for learning would ever say something like this to a student. But I also had a similar experience um, 
to that when I was in, I think it was high school. My French teacher at the time told me I would never basically be creative. I would never, um, at the time I wanted to be an actress. And she'd say, and she said to me, you'll never amount to anything. The very next year I went back into the class and I didn't have to say a goddamn thing. The students in the class did. Essentially I'd been on a TV show on CBBC. So for anybody who doesn't live in the UK and doesn't know what CBBC is, it's essentially a kids only TV type show that goes after school and I had played a main character and all of the kids basically were like you know well anyway they told her and put her in her place and it was wonderful it's a magical moment so I am right there with you Icy loving this story if you would like to be a listener rebel, then you can email me your rebel story to rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com or you can tweet me at rebelauthorpod. I would also like to give a quick shout out to new patron Alison Ingleby. Thank you so much for the support. I really, I, I honestly can't tell you how much I appreciate uh, all the support from everybody on Patreon. Uh, it makes my day and my week and my month. I have also just posted October's exclusive post, which is chock full of resources, all about novel outlining. Uh, thank you to Sarah for the topic suggestion. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, as well as the bonus exclusive writing and marketing help, you can by visiting www.patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. And as always, that is Sasha with a C and not an S. Okay, on with the show. Today, I am with HB Line. HB Line lives in Yorkshire with her husband, two children and a cat. When not juggling family commitments, she writes dark urban fantasy novels, purging her imagination of its demons. Inspired by the king of horror himself, Holly aspires to be at least half as prolific and successful and promises to limit herself to only one tome of the stand-like proportions in her career. Other interests and idols include Joss Whedon, great choice by the way, and Robert Kirkman, and she will often be spotted wearing TWD or fly, Firefly apparel. What's TWD? The Walking Dead. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, acronyms. <laughs> uh, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me. So tell us, uh, tell everybody listening a little bit about yourself, your writing journey and how you've gotten to where you are. Okay, it's kind of an age old story. I've been writing since I was old enough to hold a pen. Um, I got into writing screenplays as a teenager. And when I went to uni to study drama, film and TV, it was with the intention of becoming a screenwriter and director. But life had other plans for me and I ended up dropping out of that degree and completely changing direction and doing a philosophy and religious studies degree instead. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bit of a change. <laughs> People are always surprised by that. Um, so, yeah. So I ended up finishing my degree with the Open University and kind of stopped writing, stopped reading, stopped everything. And then it was a few years later... Um, when my eldest son was tiny that I started writing because I think I needed something for myself mm. outside of being a mum. Mm. And so, yeah, so I started writing and I had this story in me that just had to be told. 
and when I finished like the first book and I knew that it was going to be multiple books I, I had it kind of planned out as a series and and I was like I need to share this with people I I was so like moved by the power of the story that I really wanted other people to read it and be moved as well so I leapt into self-publishing without really thinking and without really knowing what I was doing and yeah um and here we are so that was in 2013 and uh yeah so I've published five novels now and and it's been crazy and I can't believe I would never have thought back in 2013 where I would be six years later it's crazy it's wonderful how we end up where where we get to and I I actually had um a very similar experience when I went to uni so I was kind of a prolific bibliophile before I went to university and then Mm. you end up spending so much time reading journals and academic scripts or whatever that I just did not want to read a goddamn (laughs) thing so I yeah I pretty much didn't read for three years and well that's not true I read a lot just (laughs) not fiction um Mm. And then when I left, I then started reading and very rapidly fell into writing. And it's funny that you said um, when you had your son, it, it, you have got a son, haven't you? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So when you when you said when you had your son that you then wanted something else, that was a very similar experience to me. You do, I think, you know, not, obviously not everyone who's listening will be a parent, but I think mothers particularly in those first few months, especially when you're off work, you kind of lose yourself a bit mm. and you do then well I certainly then wanted something and to, to kind of refine myself mm. but anyway we are here to talk about world building yeah you are a world building pro so talk to the new author where where the hell do they start because world building is tantamount to playing god so it can be really overwhelming mm. yeah Um, Good question. I'm blushing a bit at you calling me a pro. I'm like, (laughs) oh, really? Okay. (laughs) Of course you are. Of course you are. Just take it. Yeah, yeah. Go with it. Um, So, yeah, I think the best place to start is wherever inspiration has struck. So most writers, when they have a new idea, they already know the genre. You know, they've got some concept of what the story is going to be. So go from there. So what do you absolutely have to figure out for your genre and for your story? And what is it that sparked the idea? So, for example, my last novel, In the Blood, was sparked off when I saw John Wick Chapter 2, and I was totally inspired by the Roman catacombs. And I had this idea, like, what if the Camorra gangsters were vampires? So I started with these catacombs and vampire gangsters, and the whole world came out of that starting point. So just take it one step at a time. Ask yourself, why is it this way? And what needs to develop from that? And so on. And so I guess, do you think that every genre starts from a different place? Do you, Or do you think it just genuinely is derived from wherever people get inspiration? I think it's wherever you get inspiration because not everyone who writes in the same genre is going to world build in the same way. Mm. Um it, it totally depends on you and your temperament and the specific idea that you've got. 
And for me, it's been different from book to book as well. It's not even consistent, like, you know, throughout my entire um, back catalogue. It's it's varied. So, yeah. Okay, so it, anyone can start from anywhere. But obviously, <laughs> I'm sorry, that's yeah. so vague. <laughs> well, um, okay, so right, anyone can start from anywhere, but obviously there must be key parts of world building that everybody needs to um, include. So, so what are those key points in world building that every uh, every writer kind of needs to hit? Sure. Okay. Obviously, again, it depends on your genre and your story. If you're like. Um, writing hard military sci-fi then you don't need a magic system Um, if you're writing paranormal romance then you probably don't need futuristic technology so start with your genre and your world um, and your your story setting and I think always ask yourself why peel back the layers of the world so whatever you are including you're gonna need um you know, if it's a very personal story, you're going to need a home and a place of work and a, you know, an immediate environment for your characters. Um, if you have got, if it's a bit of a grander story, then you're going to need to look a bit further. You're going to need to think about education and government and the landscape. So, you know, look at what your story needs and kind of things kind of bolt on. I kind of see world building as like really modular. But at the same time, everything is connected. Absolutely everything has ripple effects. So I'd say you have to think about your immediate landscape that no one could get away from that. Even if you're writing um, non-fantasy set in the real world, you still need to think about the immediate environment of your characters. So that would be, I guess, a good baseline. And do you think somebody needs to think about all of those things before they start or can they just jump in or (laughs) (laughs) it depends on you as a writer I mean I I am very much a build as I write person so I'll start writing without really developing the world very much and it just grows out of the writing um that said though my my main series like my flagship series the world that that's set in was more or less created before I started writing the books. But that's because of how it came about, because it was a bit unusual. It was loosely, very loosely based on a role-playing game that I had participated in. So a lot of the world elements were there, but I had to completely change them so as not to infringe on any copyright issues. Mm, mm. <laughs> so, um, so I had to consciously sit down and completely rewrite the world. So, but not many writers are going to be in that situation. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I suppose unless they're writing lit RPG and then I, but then I, I yeah. think it's they're creating their own game kind of, aren't they? Or are they? Yeah. 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 I don't, I don't read lit RPG, so I'm not entirely sure of the rules, but, or the tropes, I should say. How do you keep it all straight? Uh, I have notes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a really analog person, so I literally have notebooks and, um, I write everything down and if I'm I write my drafts in Scrivener so I use the folder system for that to collect links and things to any research and images and stuff like that but I write everything down in my notebook so um yeah and it's I use um sort of like a filofax notebook so you can move the pages around mm-hmm. so 
Um, if I need to expand a section, if I need to add another character to my characters section of my notebook, I can move pages and stuff like that. So I do something quite similar. I call it my Bible, my book Bible. Um, mm. And in there, just by way of some examples, I keep things like timelines, key dates, character mm-hmm. names, spellings and capitalizations I keep in there because I write fantasy so I make up shit which means <laughs> it's not in the dictionary and I need to know how to spell it. Yeah. Um I also include geographical locations. Uh, I include information about powers. I then have an entire table uh, of my characters. And in that, it has descriptions because you can bet your ass I will describe it as thin. One character is thin. And then four chapters later, they're a bit of a chunky monkey. Um, so yeah I have to include things like that sometimes I include connections as well Um, what else do I put in there I have oh at the top of each of my chapters I have a quote of some sort whether it be from an ancient script in the world or some kind of a law and I um, have put all of those into their because obviously they are repeated so I'll have lots of things from the book of balance or whatever so I categorize them in there so they're kind if people I just wanted to give some tangible examples of what goes into those kinds of notes basically Mm -hmm. anything you could fuck up put in your bible (laughs) (laughs) yeah i my big weakness is eye color i am forever like oh it's never come up before and i'm like have i already mentioned this in a previous book and of course i haven't got that kind of thing written down and i always have to skim through my books like have i mentioned what color his eyes are before yeah Yeah, well i should start writing that down (laughs) yeah well i only i only did it because i don't typically reread books and when i came to write the sequel uh to my first book I had to go through and literally underline about 11 million things in my book. And I was like, I really should store this information somewhere. And do you know what? (laughs) It didn't make a blind bit of difference because when I came to write the third book, I still had to read the sequel. (laughs) But uh, yeah, basically my memory's shit. Uh, But it it does help because sometimes I'll refer to the book Bible rather than my um, book. But I I was interested in one particular thing that you said about the concept of world building being modular. Mm. I've never thought of it like that. And it jogged me. And I don't know if this is a question or not. But one of the things that I have not really included in my books, which are fantasy, is a monetary system. It's Mm. just never been relevant. So I don't know why that is. But can you talk a little bit about when a writer should bolt another module on like when does the yeah yeah um when the story needs it so yeah I mean it may be that you as you're especially if you're writing a series where the world just sort of naturally expands it's you know that's inevitable so you may have a new fantasy creature that you haven't had before and and oh they have magic so how does that magic work so you just you just take it, or this is how I do it anyway, one step at a time as far as the story is concerned. I think it would be so easy to just kind of just world build forever and just go on and on and on, but that isn't getting your story written. Mm. So um, I do think always come back to the story and always just ask why. 
that that you know I go on about that all the time why 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 because um, <laughs> I just think it's really important because you need to understand the whys even though most of the time you're not going to put that into the book mm. otherwise it would get too expositiony but you need to understand it so that you have consistency mm. and so that you know why your characters are behaving the, the mm. way that they're behaving because whether or not you put it down in exposition the reader will <clears throat> in uh, implicitly see the justification um so that leads me i'm kind of skipping through my questions here but that leads me to another question when is enough enough mm. so yeah it's like i said it's so easy to just get lost in the process so always just keep the story in mind and for the most part um the world that is my primary sandbox has been, like I said, created as I write. So I think that's my best advice really, is don't actually separate world building from the writing process itself. It is, it's part of the same thing. And I fairly recently was taken to calling what I do novel craft, because that incorporates all the aspects of it. That's the first draft and the world building and the structuring and the editing. It's all of it. It's all part of one thing um so yeah don't don't separate it out for yourself because that's just making life hard for yourself Mm. i spent an entire year plotting before i started (laughs) writing and then i was like wow it's it's been a whole year (laughs) i haven't written a thing uh yeah that you definitely need to be cognizant of when enough enough is enough Mm. Um, yeah. And if you are not getting words down, it's definitely enough. Yes. <laughs> yeah. um, so what mistakes, what classic mistakes or newbie mistakes do writers often make with, with world building other than not starting, which I made? <laughs> um, I think glossing over things or just really not having a clear enough idea themselves about why things are the way they are. That really irks me when it's just like a, a hand wave and no explanation. That's not gonna cut it for me as a reader. I I need a bit more depth than that. Um, I read something quite recently that just the world building was just so poor and I was just cringing like every other page because it was so flimsy. And like, you know, there's this whole other world that humans know nothing about. Well, but how, why? How, how has no human noticed that there's this entire city here? You haven't explained that. Is it shielded? Is there magic protecting it? Is it hidden? Are the humans a bit like muggles in Harry Potter? You know, do they just kind of see an illusion and they look at Hogwarts? You know, what? what tell me. Because just kind of going, yeah, humans don't really... Yeah. I, no, I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, and the, I think the thing here is the simpler the better. I know mm. sometimes more can seem like it's more but this is one of those occasions where less is more Mm. and if you have a very simple justification especially if you don't want to complete your world building before you start it is much much better for you because you are far less likely to write yourself into a corner because Mm. you you've written something complicated and then you need to undo it you once you push publish you can't undo it um (laughs) So yeah, I, I think that is, and actually it's funny because I'm at this middle point in my series where I'm trying to wrap up a lot of the early bits of the arcs. And because 
I this series was the first series I wrote I wanted to put everything in it and it's just so fucking complicated like I'm just trying to get rid of loads of shit just kill everyone off just kill them all <laughs> um you know well, yeah but it's the same for the world building if you can give mm. a very simple justification like it's an illusion or whatever readers suspend their belief you know their their, yeah. their belief of reality when they they go in expecting to have to do that so it's okay to keep it simple yes um so talk a little bit about world building that's not fantasy yeah sure so i think all authors of all genres need a certain amount of world building um so you still need to create like fictional businesses homes schools you know, places that your characters are going to um, go and locations they're going to interact with. So the key is to be consistent. So you need to make sure that the bits you make up gel with the bits that are real. So, for example, if you are writing a novel set in London about a journalist who works for a made-up newspaper, you need to, you know, set the newspaper's offices in maybe in a real building, uh, in the right part of London, um, or a made-up building, but one where the architecture is consistent with the street that it's on. Um, maybe have your character go to a coffee shop that is actually real, but just change the name of it. Mm. Um, you know, make it so the reader can um, recognise the real world and not be able to tell where the real world ends and the fictional world begins. So... Yeah, it's hard to do and you need to do a lot of research and that's a big reason why I don't do that. I write <laughs> fantasy so I can make it all up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, you can't be wrong that way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Unless you break one of your own laws, your world-building laws. Um, okay, so some quick tips or tricks to, to world-building. What what do you say to people who want to world-build and just are afraid? What, what quick tips and tricks can you give them? Oh, um... That's, yeah, because I'm so into it, it's really hard to go back to to that, to kind of being at the start and not quite knowing where to start. So um, I think, as I have said repeatedly, go with your story. Um, peel back the layers, always ask why, and take it one step at a time. Don't think that you have to have the whole world written all at once just um take it as you need it and just add bits as they occur in your if if you're still plotting you know it doesn't have to be while you're writing the draft because that could be scary for some writers who need to feel that they have planned things i get that i'm i'm a you know discovery writer so i'm fine with just writing and letting it come as i go but i know some people need that structure i guess um so look at your story, look at what you need for it and create as you go. I think that's the the best tip that I can give. And I think one of the things that you were saying that I'm just going to tease out a little bit more. So you were saying um, about including things as they become relevant and and there you mean relevant to the hero so yeah. to prevent information dumps or kind of these gigantic descriptive three page long 
the word vomits <laughs> they should you should only include world building elements when it's relevant to your hero and the best way i think to describe and to build these worlds in the minds of the readers is is the way that the hero relates to the world so mm-hmm. how does this I don't know this this is a shit example but how does this building make the hero feel what senses does it evoke does it evoke a memory that's relevant to a plot point or mm. um you know what are the smells and the sounds that the hero is not only smelling and hearing and tasting and touching but how do they make him feel I think all of these stories are about an emotional journey and that's really important for world building as well it's about the emotional impact the world has Mm. on the hero I don't know if you yeah I definitely agree with that and you know no matter what um like whether you're writing in um first person or third person you you have a perspective your Mm. your narrative voice has a perspective so everything about the world has to be observed from that point of view so excuse me if you're if you're writing first person then yeah, it's absolutely everything. Everything about your world is seen through the eyes of your character, whose point of view you are using. Um, so there may well be things they simply just don't notice that are just not on their radar. And so don't worry about that. Mm. You know, mm. world build what matters to your character, yeah. whether they know it or not. Yeah. You have to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, and I think that is definitely the quote of this interview. <laughs> well, build what matters to your hero or your protagonist or your character. Um, you have a course. Yes. Okay. And, and we don't know whether or not this course will be open at the time of this recording, but it could yeah. be at the time of listening in the future. So tell yeah. everybody about your course. Okay. Um, so it's a world building quest and uh, it's something that I am creating with my business partner, Angeline Trevina. Uh, we have a podcast together. Um, she's the Great Western Woods World Building Podcast. And we decided that podcasting wasn't enough. We, we needed to, um, to expand the way that we were serving people. So we are developing a course. And um, basically, students are going to get some hand-holding um, we're going to help people to develop their worlds in ways that make sense for their story and that are um, sustainable so that they can then go on and create many, many more worlds in the future without so much help. But we will also, you know, always be around for advice. And where can they, where can listeners find your course? Um, best place is going to be our website, which is greatwesternwoods.com. Perfect. Now, this podcast is called the Rebel Author Podcast. So, everybody, everybody, everybody winces at me when I start asking this question. It cracks me up. Uh, But I don't care. Lie if you have to. Um, Tell me about a time that your inner rebel was unleashed. Do you want a strictly professional example? God, no. Personal. Okay. (laughs) Well... I've never tried to conform, so it's not so much an inner rebel as an outer one. Um, Okay, do you want to hear about the time I walked into a hairdresser's with waist-long brown hair and said, chop it all off and dye it pillar box red? Or do you want to hear about the time I arrived at hospital in labour, presented a printed contract 
for the midwife and the consultant and said, give me a Lotus Caesarean. Both? (laughs) (laughs) Both? Both. Well, yeah, I've always done crazy things with my hair. And I do, you know, I'll grow it really long and then hack it all off and get a pixie cut and dye it a bright colour. I I do that all the time. Amazing. It's not... That's not a, a big story, really. I did. Um, I did the same. I had butt length curly hair, and uh, my mum always said I wasn't allowed to chop it off until I didn't live under her roof. So I went to university <laughs> and promptly chopped the whole thing off. The uh, hairdresser was like, "Are you? Are you sure? Are you? Are you sure?" I was like, "Get rid of it!" And she cried. My mum cried. I'm sorry, mum. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the hairdresser told me that I had made her day because normally she just had to do the same boring Mm. things and it was really rare for someone to come in and say completely change how I look. So that was nice. Um, So a lotus caesarean? Yeah, okay. So um, a lotus birth is where you do not cut the cord ever because it naturally separates on its own after a few days anyway. And basically... I'll try and keep this short, but it's a long story, really. Um, My first birth was very traumatic, and it took quite a lot of effort to heal from it. And I knew that for my second birth, everything had to be completely different. So uh, we completely um, opted out of the NHS. We hired an independent midwife, and um, we were planning to have a lotus birth at home. And this is a home birth after caesarean or HBAC, um, which in itself is a bit rebellious. Um, but then add in the lotus element, which hardly anyone has even heard of, and it tends to raise eyebrows. Um, so this was our plan. Um, but the labour did not go according to plan, and we had to transfer into hospital. And basically during my first birth, I had been subject to... Um, a catalogue of cascade of interventions, um, most of which were without my consent. So the big thing for me was staying in control. And I knew that at the very, very least, if I had to go into hospital and have a cesarean, we had to let the cord pulse out because that's just so, so important. And this was like seven and a half years ago and it was just on the cusp of the changes that have now happened and people now realize how important that cord blood is and they didn't at the time so saying no no no, we're not cutting the cord immediately was a big deal and in order to be sure that they didn't just snip it straight away I had like a legal document that was this these are the terms under which I will agree to this procedure you have to do as I say and they agreed they they were up for it um my independent midwife came with us and she explained this was great this is like the highlight of my life the midwife telling the consultant how to do her job (laughs) (laughs) i love it that's so rebellious yeah yeah um so yeah so we um we went into surgery and um and we basically my abdomen was opened and baby was born and then held while the cord continued to pulse and then uh, the placenta was delivered and then my son and the placenta were both handed to me and yeah it was the most empowering thing I've ever done Um, and incredibly rebellious because it's so weird there's like three people in the country who've ever done that 
and I'm one of them. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) True rebel. I love it. (laughs) Okay, where can everyone find out more about you and your books and your podcast? Okay, so my website is hbline.com. I'm on Facebook. Uh, It's facebook.com forward slash author hbline. I'm particularly active on Instagram. It's my favorite social media. So you can find me there at hbline. You're probably spotting a trend here. Um, <laughs> and my uh, my and Angeline's podcast, um, we are the Great Western Woods World Building Podcast, and we're on all platforms. And um, yeah, we're on Instagram as well, which is uh, at Great Western Woods Podcast. Perfect. Well, thank you very much uh, for being our guest today. Our, my, apparently I'm two people now. Um, if Thank you everybody for listening. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, you can do that by supporting the show on Patreon. That's www.patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. That is Sasha with a C, S-A-C-H-A. Thank you very much, Holly. Thank you to the listeners. I'm Sasha Black. You are listening to HB Line and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, I'm talking to Renee Canalti, who is the author of Narrated by the Author, How to Produce an Audiobook on a Budget. If you've been listening to this show for a little while, you'll have heard me rave about how amazing this book is and how I'm using it to create my own audiobooks. So I am thrilled to be saying I am interviewing her next week. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review. Oh,